And this past week, we read chapters 19 through 24. And it was kind of a tale of two halves, right? We had, we had one half of the week that was, that was a little bit on the rough side. And then the other half of the week was the surprising side. And, uh, so we had Balaam and his oracles. And believe it or not, we're not going to talk about that today, even though that was like half of our readings. We're actually going to just a, a little preview. We'll revisit Balaam in a couple of weeks. Uh, but not today. Today, we're going to have uh, we're going to have uh, a sermon entitled "I Wish I Could Take It Back," and believe it or not, just want to share ahead of time that this is a message of hope, and I want you to keep that in the back of your mind because that could get lost in the first part of it. Okay, that this is a message of hope. I wish I could take it back. Now, how many of you are football fans, other than myself? Few of us here, some of us wearing, you know, contraband jerseys from the Cowboys. I won't mention anybody, Levi, but I'm just saying. The, uh, the thing is, one thing that I think about oftentimes, I'm a Falcons fan. That means I'm not quite as bad as a Lions fan, but I'm in the same boat, right? So we're kind of, we're kind of, you know, David and myself are blood brothers there. And, you know, the, uh, the downs are definitely more than the ups. And here's the thing, for Falcons history that some of you may not know, the Falcons drafted Brett Favre. Did you guys know that? You know how I know that? My dad never lets me forget it. We talk on the phone, he's like, you realize that the Falcons drafted Brett Favre? And of course, there's, there are these ideas that what if Brett Favre was the Falcon quarterback for all of those years that he was up in Green Bay? Could it be that we might have more? Worlds and the World Series. Where am I at right now? The Super Bowl championships, which of course the Falcons have none. So one would be more World Series. I keep saying World Series. My Braves are doing well. So that might be where my brain's at. So anyway, um, you ever think about stuff like that, right? What could have been, right? If I just would have had that. Or on the opposite things. I'm a Clemson Tiger fan, which has been a very, very good thing. What if Trevor Lawrence would have been someplace else other than with the Clemson Tigers? We might not have a national championship for 2018 as a result of that. So the, the what ifs. How many of you play those what if games on, on these menial things? Like what if we would have had this or what if we would have had that? How many of you do that in your head? Yeah, it can, it can, you know, for small things, it can be a fun little exercise to think about what could have been. But the, the truth of the matter is that we live in a world where decisions that we make have tremendous consequences. And some of the things that you and I decide to do in the heat or spur of the moment can change the entire trajectory of our lives. Let me give some not-so-fun examples. We see a man or a woman who's at a party of some sort, and they've had one too many to drink, or they've taken one too many to drink, and they've decided that they're going to drive home, and that drive home changes the trajectory of their lives or the lives of somebody else. 
Or we see a boyfriend and a girlfriend, maybe young and in high school or just starting out in college, and they decide they want to take their relationship to the next level. And on a night where they're feeling very emotionally entangled with one another, they decide that that next level means that they're going to spend that time, that intimate time together, and it results in a pregnancy that changes the trajectory of their lives. All the things that they had hoped to accomplish or do in a moment shifted because of a decision that is made that quick. It sometimes doesn't seem fair, doesn't it? That you and I would have decisions in our lives that could be made very quickly, that changes the trajectory of the path of the entirety of our lives, but it really does happen, and it happens all the time. And we all have those moments where we say, I wish I could have taken it back. Every single one of us, in big things and in small things, Husbands and wives, how many times have we been in an argument with our spouse and we turn around and and we know the exact wrong thing to say, but we say it anyway. And we wish at that moment we could take it back. These moments happen in our life far too frequently. And they vary in degree on the importance. And sometimes the importance at that moment in time is clouded to us. And this is what we're running into today is we're going to be looking at a section of Scripture in Numbers that talk about, I wish I could take it back. So let's open our Bibles. Numbers, chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read down to verse 13. In the first month, the whole Israelite assembly arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh, and there Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron, and they quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died with our, when our brothers fell dead before the Lord, why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs and there's no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? And then Moses raised his arm, and he struck the rock twice with his staff, and water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough, to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites. You will not bring this community into the land I give them. 
These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he showed himself holy among them. Skipping down to the bottom of the passage and starting in verse 22. The whole Israelite community set out from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. And at Mount Hor, near the border of Edom, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will not enter the land I give the Israelites because both of you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Get Aaron and his son Eleazar and take them up to uh, Mount Hor. Remove Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eleazar for Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded, and they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of the whole community. Moses removed Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eleazar, and Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. And then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. And when the whole community learned that Aaron had died, the entire house of Israel mourned him for 30 days. I remind you right now, this is a message of hope. Doesn't seem like it when we read that passage of scripture in its entirety, does it? But I remind you that because there are a number of life lessons that are going to be found in this passage of scripture that are going to help us when we have those moments that remind us, I wish I could take it back. Because Moses, in this account right here, I guarantee you, he wishes he could take it back, right? From the very beginning of the calling of Moses, Moses is called in Exodus chapter 3 to take the people out from Egypt to lead them to this land. God is delivering his people out of Egypt into this land. Now what's very interesting because God is God and lives outside of time and knows that these things were already going to take place and this interaction was going to happen. When you look at what happens, he says he will deliver them to the new land, but he's using Moses to take them out of Egypt. It's interesting what's missing and what's there. Because God knew that this interaction was going to happen. But I want to think about it just for a moment. From Moses' perspective, what is going on? Life lesson number one. Stresses in life cause you and I to make hasty decisions that can change the trajectory of our lives. Life lesson number one. Stresses in our life can make you and I make hasty decisions that have the potential of changing the trajectory of our lives. I want you to think about what's happened here. It may not seem like it, but believe it or not, between last week when we read in chapters 13 and chapters 14 that they were going to be wandering in the desert for 40 years, here by chapter 20, that 40 years is almost over. Just want you to know, in this short period of time, the 40 years is almost done. So we have 40 years worth of time. And you know what we see in between? Lots and lots of complaining. Right? There's a whole lot of complaining going on. On top of that, at the very beginning of this chapter, when this last complaint comes, what's just happened to both Aaron and Moses? They've lost their sister who has died. We got a lot of pressure going on. 
Because we don't see a whole lot of praiseworthy things happening within the community of Israel. It's not that God isn't moving and God isn't doing amazing things. He absolutely is. But for a moment, I'm going to bring down to Moses and Aaron the level of what they're hearing from everybody else. They've done studies. There's a study 2004 that was referenced from a, a Harvard journal, that, a Harvard article that I was reading uh, the other day that talked about, you know, the efficiency in work. That work efficiency goes up when we have positive comments versus negative comments. I'm sure you guys have heard similar studies in different places. And this particular study from 2004 says that the optimum place, where you have an optimum place of work, is 5.6 positive statements for every criticism or negative statement that's said. That's a, that's a really good environment. A middle environment is 1.9 positive statements to every negative statement. And then a low, uh, uh, what would you call it, a low productive, small low productivity, right, is three complaints for every compliment, there's a big difference between that. And they found that that same ratio, the same types of ratio works in marriage as well. Married couples, listen up. It's about for those who have successful marriages, five positive comments for every one negative one. And for the ones who eventually get divorced, it's not quite as bad as the work environment, but it's three positive comments for every four negative ones. You can start to see what type of environment that would be. Now, imagine you're Moses and you've been around that for 40 years. Because I don't read a whole lot of the community of Israel being very favorable toward Moses and Aaron. As a matter of fact, they're always at the very end of the day almost ready to string them up by their toenails, aren't they? That's what we've been reading. And this was 40 years worth. And what made it into the text wasn't a whole lot of praise. It was a whole lot of complaints. These are the things that are there within that environment. This is what's pressing upon Moses and Aaron. And now we add Miriam's death to it. And here comes the complaint again. And Moses and Aaron... They're at their wit's end. And they go and they intercede before the Lord and the Lord gives them instruction just like he has in every other opportunity where, where he's interceded for the people of Israel and he gives them the grace of saying, I am going to provide water. Go and speak to the rock. But that's not what Moses did. Moses goes up to the rock, overwrought, maybe even feeling justifiably so, and says, you rebels, must we pull water from this rock for you? And he strikes the rock, not once, but twice. You just imagine? How many of you have been there? How many of you have been overwrought like that? How many of you have been like, just one to... Mm, just one more, just one more, come on, come on, I'm, I'm ready. How many of you there? How many of you have taken the swing? Not just once, but like Moses, twice. How many of you done it? I have.
And in those moments, man, take that swing. You wish you could take it back, right? Because it starts down a trajectory of something totally different. We got to be aware of the stresses that are in our lives. You and I have to be aware of those things. We have to be aware of when we're overwrought. We need to be aware when we're burning the candle on both ends. We need to be aware of understanding that when we are find ourselves in that place, it is not the time to make major decisions in life. Because to do so, you could make a decision that you're going to regret for a long period of time. Life lesson number one. Life lesson number two. Whatever stresses are in our life is no excuse before God concerning disobedience to his word. Whatever stresses are in our life is no excuse for us not to be obedient to the God who lived and died and rose again for us. Moses, by God's own admission, was the most humble man who ever lived during his time. He's reached the end of his rope. His humility is done at this moment in time. He has taken upon himself at this moment in time credit for a miracle that he had nothing to do with. Think about that for just a moment. He says, guess what? Must we pull water from this rock for you? You rebels. He's fed up. He's done. He didn't make no water appear at all. God said, go speak to the rock and I'll make the water appear. Moses said, me and Aaron, we'll take credit for this one. Boom. You know what God said? Because you didn't regard me as holy, because you didn't believe, because you took it upon yourself and took the credit that belongs only to God, because of that there are consequences for you stepping into this. To do the thing that you ought not do comes with consequences. Guess what? How many of you been there? I've done the thing that I shouldn't have done. It comes with consequences. And just because I was overwrought, just because I can make 20 different excuses as to why I'm justified in doing it, God is the only one who justifies, and he says, I don't think so. I don't think so. You think that's a good excuse? I don't think so. Talking to Moses, do you think that God understands Moses' frustration? I would submit to you, as Mark would say, I would submit to you that God knows probably better than Moses. 
I mean, after all, he sent his son to die for us, though we were still sinners, that our hearts in rebellion. He chose the people of Israel despite that their hearts always rebellious toward him. He chose you and me, not because we were worthy, because he was worthy. Man, how many times does God look in the mirror for us and say, man, come on, get it together. Just because you're going through this, trust me. Trust me, you don't know nothing. And yet you and I, we are so quick to justify our sin, aren't we? I'm okay with doing this because if they just knew what was going on. Nope. Life lesson number two is no matter what stresses are going on in your life, it is no excuse for us to be disobedient to God and his word. It's just not. That's every single one of us. There's consequences to that action. It changes the trajectory of our lives. Moses, as a result of his of his action of taking this upon himself and not seeing God as holy, guess what happens as a result of it? He doesn't, go, he doesn't get to go into the promised land anymore. I'm not letting you in. You are going to lead my people in. You have sinned. You have shown me not as holy before the people of God. Therefore, as punishment, you will not make it. And we see that that's not just the result for Moses. We see that for Aaron. And at the end of this uh, chapter, we look at the account of Aaron saying, you're done. Go up on Mount Hor. Take your son with you. I'm going to gather you to your people. And your son will be high priest coming into the land promised. See, Moses and Aaron weren't part of that rebellion back in Numbers chapter 13, but this was bad enough that God said, nope, I don't think so. This will be given to somebody else. And we'll see this reference. As a matter of fact, as we continue on here in Numbers, and as we continue on in our next book in Deuteronomy, Moses Moses references this judgment saying, I can't go in the land with you. And this is the reason why. I wish I could take it back. But there's a consequence for my action. And that consequence wasn't taken away from Moses just because he was the leader of his people at that time. Same thing with you and me. We're going to make decisions that that profoundly transform and change the trajectory of our lives. And we have to admit, there's no excuse for it. We've got to come to the end of ourselves and realize that, that that change of trajectory, big or small, those big things that we talked about at the beginning of the sermon or, or smaller things in our marriages and stuff. Guess what? we got to own that, right? That trajectory that we've made from these decisions that we've tried to justify as disobedience to God. Say, well, if God only knew, trust me, God knows. And it's still no excuse. But I told you this is a message of hope, and some of you are going like, I'm, I'm waiting for it. <laughs> right now, I'm, just, I'm not there yet. Point number three, life lesson number three. 
God is gracious despite our sin and failing. See, one of the little details here that get, can get overlooked is sometimes when we read this passage of Scripture, we see the judgment of God definitely coming down on Moses and on Aaron for taking credit for something that God has done amongst themselves. And because he is not seen as holy among the people of Israel, and something's lost. As a matter of fact, some scholars believe that this passage of Scripture and, and these two incidents with the rock was supposed to represent Jesus Christ, and it's spoiled by Moses. Because the first time that we have water coming from the rock, it is struck, and Jesus is, is supposed to be struck once for sin, and never again. And that's why the second one was, he's speaking to it. He's not striking it again. But Moses striking it destroys the whole analogy, right? It's supposed to point back to Jesus Christ. Because all of these things eventually point back to Christ. Whether we're looking at the Levitical priesthood or other things. And there are many scholars who believe that's what's happening here. Because here, we're supposed to be exalting Jesus Christ. And Moses has spoiled that. What do you think that punishment ought to be? You realize how bad that is. But what gets overlooked is this. Because a lot of times when, when God gets mad, we see plagues come around and all this other stuff that's happened. We've read that. The people of Israel have been, you know, stone cold against God. And God's been going like, all right, well now the plague's going to come. And there's going to be like 10,000 of you dying right now. Until somebody comes and intercedes, right? Well, notice what happened here. Moses strikes the rock twice, and the water still flows. See, we see the grace of God despite the fact that everything about this incident is disobedient. It's disobedience for the people to complain the way that they did. And though Moses came and interceded for them, and God said, I will provide water for them if you speak to the rock, that command was not carried out. Moses took it upon himself and said, hey, this is my miracle. Me and Aaron, are, do we have to do this to you rebels? And when he struck the rock, God could have had anything happen. He could have had Moses fall down dead at that moment in time. Have we not seen the same thing happen to the other people who didn't believe? And in the grace of God, in this moment in time, amidst disobedience and rebellion for those who are even leading those people, guess what God does? He still provides the water. Man, we got a graceful God. We've got a graceful God. We, we just don't realize how grace-filled our Lord and Savior is. And here in the desert among complaining people, people who aren't even obeying his command for his provision, who are taking credit for it, he still provides the water. You know, the beauty of being a believer in Christ is to realize a couple of things. Number one is to realize that God is in the business of being really, really grace-filled to us. 
giving us more than we deserve. We've been reading you know, snippets of it. We're going to take a deep dive in Romans later on this year. But we've been reading snippets of it that though we are still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you. That's me. That's this rabble in Israel right now that's in rebellion to God. And guess what? He's still good to them despite all of that, right? And, and it's greater than that still. If we read... In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, we see this verse that says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Here's the thing. The thing that you may have done is not necessarily good. Definitely the thing that Moses and Aaron did was not good, right? The people of Israel were not doing good things at that moment in time. Would you agree with that statement? I totally agree with that statement. And yet God was still working for their good. That those who loved him, and I believe that Aaron and Moses loved him, and they're caught in a moment where their love for him is caught in this crossfire of their stress where they have used it to be disobedient to God. It's not an excuse But God's grace still abounds to them. And we see that Aaron, even though he has to take the consequences of this world and not be able to go into the land of promise, he is still gathered with his people. By the way, that's what it says of the faithful who are following God. You don't hear people gathered to their people who are in rebellion to God. If you remember Korah, just a few chapters back that we looked at in the rebellion of Korah, And his followers, it says the earth swallowed them up, took them into the place of death. It didn't say they were gathered to their people. Did you guys notice that? I I just, I want you to note the difference because here in the Old Testament, this is Old Testament talking. And we sometimes don't realize that God is still talking about a place that is prepared for his people. And Aaron gets to go to that place. And Moses later gets to go to that place. As a matter of fact, that's what we read not that long ago in Hebrews. Let's check it out real quick in Hebrews chapter 11, just as a way of reminder to us concerning this faith. Verse 13, it says, all these people talking about the patriarchs of, the, of, of old, that would include Moses as, as the writer of Hebrew continues on. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. We can attest to that, right? Moses and Aaron are not going to get to go to the promised land. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country that they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. See, when Moses and Aaron are gathered to their people is the people of faith. This wall of faith that we're looking at in Hebrews chapter 11, that's also you and me, that we together get this inheritance of faith. And that God shows grace upon grace to you and me, that even in our failures in this world, that may change the trajectory of life that's here. For those who love Christ Jesus, he still works those things to our good. He doesn't call those things good. But he works them to good. 
How many of you have heard testimonies of people who have come out of crisis pregnancies and how God had used that to bring them to a strong relationship with Jesus? I have. How many of you have heard of people coming out of drug addiction and how God used that drug addiction to help them to understand how they needed to go back into that community and help others to know Jesus because they understand where they're coming from? I have. How many of you remember Chuck Colson who was in the Watergate scandal and during that time came to to faith in Christ and Christ Jesus while he's in jail? And what did he do? He founded a ministry that is for people who are in jail. Prison fellowship. See, God is in the business of turning things around. That even bad things in our life that we have participated in, that we change the trajectory of our life, God is so good, he can use that to turn it to good that he can use for his glory and his namesake. Praise God, right? That's awesome. There's hope. No matter where you've been at this week, there's hope. No matter what decisions you've made this week, there's hope. That's awesome news. And it gets better. Here's some cool stuff. So we know that Moses and Aaron, they're going to be gathered to to their people, which happens to be our people, which is pretty awesome. Those in faith with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to receive an inheritance. That can't be taken away from us. A place in heaven that that will never rot, spoil, or fade. That's pretty cool. We have that. We have that. Nothing can take that away from us because Jesus bought that for us. For those who believe and follow him. But it gets better when we think about the life of Moses. So turn with me real quick. Matthew chapter 17. Going to read the first five verses. Very famous passage, but maybe one that we haven't thought a whole lot about. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, enveloped them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. See, we see this very famous account of the transfiguration. Uh, the count burned so much in Peter's mind that we read in Second Peter chapter 1, him recounting that when he says, we did not make up, uh, you know, glorious stories of our Lord's appearing. We were there with them. And more than that, we were there on the holy mountain. When we saw his glory and we saw, the, we saw the Father in heaven say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So they recount this whole thing where God makes a differentiation because Peter in his in this momentary, you know, scaredness, I can't even imagine what it was that they saw and how they saw it, but I'd probably be just as terrified. And Peter, as we know, if we've read the scriptures, has diarrhea of the mouth and he says stuff that he wishes he could take back in a moment's notice, right? 
Jesus, you're never going to die. Get from behind me, Satan. Man, I wish I could take that back. That's immortalized in every gospel. Isn't that great? So, I wish I could take that back, right? And he gets corrected by the Father in heaven saying, this is my son. I mean, there's correction and then there's correction, right? That's correction. And it made an indelible mark because, guess what? God is saying, my son is not equivalent to Moses and Elijah. They're going to make three shelters as if they're all equal to one another because they're not. Jesus is so much greater. But at the same time, here's the grace upon grace that gets overlooked. This mountain, I've looked, I've looked at the scripture, I've looked at the context, is in the land of promise. And so while Moses in this life never got to be in the physical land of promise, grace upon grace, by the Father in whom he served, and though he was not allowed to lead his people into the land of promise, here, at the revelation of Jesus, at his transfiguration, the Father in his grace brings Moses into the land of promise. How cool is that? That's pretty cool, isn't it? You're not going to lead my people there, but in a way you're not going to expect, you're going to make it there. That is so cool. Even while he's at the, the reality, he gets to see the shadow lands from the reality. That's so cool. God has many such experiences for you and me. Life lesson number four is this, that God multiplies grace upon grace so we don't recognize it. And we should. Man, I mean, just heaven would be enough, right? Moses is gathered to his people, given the same promise to you and me for eternal life with Christ. And yet, he's still given grace upon grace upon grace that even in that exalted state with God in heaven, he still gets to visit the land of promise that was shown to him, that was promised him all the way back at his first calling in the burning bush. That is amazing. Don't you guys think? It's a grace that you and I have the privilege of having an opportunity to experience again and again. See, I don't know what decisions we've made snap that we wish we could take back. All of us have done it. All of us will do it. My prayer is that we would recognize the stresses of life that would make those those decisions so terrible for us. We need to be very careful and know when we're overwrought. Every single one of us. So we don't make those decisions. There's no reason to walk in those decisions. We need to recognize that if we walk in those decisions, God didn't make us do it because he still wants to be held holy among the people. No matter what's going on in our lives. We need to recognize that God is a God of grace and mercy who sent Jesus. Who even wants to use those things we've failed at for his goodness and glory, not to call those things good, but man, he's in, the, he's in the mode of turning stuff around like you wouldn't believe. And then recognizing again and again and again and again the grace of God. The grace of God. 
That you and I have opportunities around us that we get privileges of, of having certain things for no other reason than God blesses us. Nothing said Moses ever needed to make it back to the promised land. There's nothing in the scripture that promises him to make it there. And yet God's grace, in the most untimely manner that we could imagine, finds him there. And you and I are going to experience those same graces. And we need to recognize where they come from. So that he, unlike what happened with this thing with Moses, gets the glory. And when we do that, people will see Jesus in us. Even when we have things that we wish we'd take back. Would you stand with me? So what do you wish you would take back? See, God's in the business of of bringing those things by his grace into use for his kingdom. So we need to confess so that we can change a different trajectory. See, that's the other thing. There are decisions that you and I can make that change the trajectory of our eternity. That change the trajectory of where we are right now to where we can be through both repentance for believers in Christ who already know Jesus and we can turn away and re-experience joy and peace that may have been missing in our lives. An assurance of our salvation. Or for those who have never known Jesus, you can change your trajectory today by one decision. That decision is you saying, I want to follow this Jesus that makes all things new. I want to follow this Jesus that turns my bad decisions into good ones. It's not going to change my consequences, but he's going to use it for his glory. And I want to see that glory worked out in my life. And so I want to follow the one who can turn bad things to good because of his son who died for me and rose for me. That's a good trajectory to change. And it's available to every single person. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. If that's you, either one of those things, come make that decision today. Change your trajectory. Know the hope of Jesus Christ because he's in the business of adding grace upon grace. I'm going to ask our elders to come up forward. If you need a prayer for any of these things, please come to our elders. They're not any different than you. We need the same grace. We need the same forgiveness. We need the same repentance among us as well. But we're here for you. You're not walking it alone. And we want to see your trajectory change. From that of death to life. From that of not peace. From conflict and chaos to peace. That surpasses all understanding. And that comes at the cross of Jesus Christ. I pray that for every single one of you today. God, thank you so much for our time together. And there are things that every single one of us wish we could take back. Every single one of us. And though we might try to justify our overwroughtness, God, you are a holy God and you want to be held in high regard. And so, God, we pray in the name of Jesus that if we've stepped out, Lord, forgive us. Help us, Lord, to turn away from these things that we might walk in you. And thank you for your grace and mercy that not only have you promised us life in Jesus Christ and life abundantly in Christ, Lord, but you have been 
promising that you will work for good all things for those who love Jesus. Even the bad things in our lives, Lord, you can use and redeem for the sake of your glory, dear Heavenly Father. And so we thank you for this grace upon grace that you give us in Jesus Christ. And help us, O Lord, to rely upon it more and more. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.